This is IQPC New York. Welcome to the Legal IQ Podcast. I am Amber Scora. Rob Holmes is founder and CEO of IPCybercrime.com. Rob worked his first trademark infringement case at the age of 12 and conducted some of the world's first IP-related internet investigations. And he's editor of the blog Knockoff Report and co-host of the Online Guys podcast. Today he joins us for a special edition of the Legal IQ podcast, the top 10 tips for fighting IP cybercrime. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks for joining us today. I'm really happy to be here. All right. As we can tell from your biography, you are the expert on fighting IP cybercrime. Yes, ma'am. Actually, the term IP cybercrime was first coined by me. Oh, really? Well, we are honored to have you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the whole reason that word exists is because I had to come up with a word that described what I did because there was no brief definition. Okay, well, since you're the expert, let's start with number 10, tip for fighting IP cybercrime. Identify and locate the prior owner of a website. Can you explain? Basically, uh, this this particular tip, it's real interesting because, to me, time travel is one of the most fascinating things in all of film history. And one of the things that I really like is finding websites that cache old data. There are two particular websites that I use every single day to find old information on a website. Say, for example, the website's not up anymore. There's a website called archive.org or the Internet Archive. Their primary product is a free product called the Wayback Machine. And when you type in a domain, if a website has been up, chances are they have actually captured an exact duplicate of that website from the past. Hmm. The neat thing about that is that very often you'll find old phone numbers, whatever, because once it was captured by the Internet Archive, it was, it's there forever, even if they take down the website. Another tool that I use for finding the prior owner of a website is a website called DomainTools.com. And Domain Tools is one of the most amazing products out there. They're about 30 bucks a month. And one of the greatest things you can do is actually check to see what the registrant information was on a domain before today. So, for example, many of us know what a Whois search is. Well, what you can do is look at the Whois history. So say, for example, the guy was smart enough to cover up his tracks and anonymize his information and pay GoDaddy the extra 10 bucks to hide his information using their domains by proxy service. Well, what if the guy forgot when he originally registered the domain? You can actually go back and look at the previous information to see if he accidentally, for even for just a few days, had his real information as the registered information because it's public. Great. Okay. Let's go to number nine. Use a website's HTML source code to put bad guys behind bars. How do you do that? I love cybercrime. I love the <laughs> Internet. And one of the coolest things about a website, and it's, in, you know, one of the terms that I use in my investigations is the virtual crime scene because it, it is a crime scene. And when you, have, when you have a physical crime scene, you can't take apart every wall pull every nail out and examine every nail. But you know what? With a website, you can. All you have to do to capture the entire source code of a website is to right-click on a blank part of that page and choose View Source. And then you'll be able to see all of the text that comprise the website, not the images and everything else, but all the hidden text. And there are amazing pieces of information hidden in that data. 
tracking codes, account numbers for Google. I mean, so many different pieces of information. Okay, so speaking of data, number eight. Track more than 300 cases at a time without losing data. This is one of the things that I kind of uh, had to do in the early 2000s when I was making so many undercover purchases at once and investigating so many websites at once. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I don't pay people to do things for me if I can figure out a way to do it myself. So what I did was I created a product. And actually, this is a product I actually sell now because my clients, they've actually created a demand for it. It's a product called Case Ninja, caseninja.net. And this is the in-house database that I have been using for the last eight years. And the way I do it is I, I have a database that I created from scratch. And every single one of the cases, every field, I have about 120 fields per case, everything from the tracking number that the subject gives me when I'm awaiting a package to every single email address someone used to send me uh, correspondence. Every single piece of information is databased. And I think when you follow that many cases, you need to figure out a way to database everything. And that's kind of what I do to do that. All right. Now, here's a good one. Number seven. Make an undercover purchase without being traced. Sounds exciting. Yeah. It, this has been real ninja stuff. And I love this part of my, my seminar because when I teach people how to do this, there are ways to be completely invisible on the Internet. Basically, and some people have probably heard the concept of anonymous proxying or anonymous web surfing. There are a lot of paid products out there, but there's also a free product called Tor, T-O-R dot E-F-F dot org. And what Tor is, it's short for the onion router because it's like um, several layers of onion skin between you and the person you're investigating, but it changes your IP address. So, for example, if here I am in Plano, Texas, what if I were on your website and you said, well, there's a guy in Plano, Texas investigating me. Who could be investigating me in Plano, Texas? Well, what if I was using a product like that? It just looked like someone from Chicago or someone from you know, Moscow was browsing your site. It might not be as suspicious. Uh, next one, number six. Follow the money trail after making a purchase on a website. Yes. And one of the most important things to do, and it's, it's often very overlooked, is to trace your, the money, uh, the, your payment method. So, for example, if you use Western Union, you know, you can call Western Union and find out which Western Union location the money was actually picked up from and what date. If you send a money order, then you better get the endorsement so you can see if you have a real signature on the back, an account number. So many pieces of data like that, and there are also so many other tips. I could just go on all day with PayPal and credit card information as well. You know, if you make a purchase using a prepaid credit card or your personal credit card, your, your credit card bill is going to have information that you're going to want to, again, database in whatever database that you create. All right. Number five, geolocate someone from an email. How do you do that? This is cool stuff. Every single email comes with what's called a header or an email header. And what is contained in the email header, it's kind of like the source code of a website. It's all, all it's kind of looks like gibberish at first glance. But what it really is, it's kind of like, have you ever tracked a UPS package? Yes. And you've looked at all the different cities that it's gone to. Just say it started in Van Nuys, California, and then it hits 
you know, it hits a, a hub in Denver, then it hits a hub in Dallas, and then it gets you, it gets to New York to your office. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the deal: is that same with emails. Emails go from computer to computer to computer to get to you. So the cool thing is, just as you can see where the origination is to a package, you can see in the header, if you read the header properly, you can determine the IP address of the original sender. Now, what that will tell you right off the bat, and of course, you may need a subpoena to get the subscriber data, but what it will tell you right off the bat is what city that person is in the vicinity of, probably within about 30, 40 miles, and also what internet service provider he's using, if they're using Verizon or Comcast or whatever else. Wow, I did not know that. So now we've talked about email, what about phone calls? Number four, legally record telephone calls. Well, here's something that's really neat, because in in most states, it's not legal to record a telephone call. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah. If both parties are um, are not aware of the recording, in many states, it's a felony to record uh, a phone call. So one way to bypass that, if you want to get someone's voice uh, on, on a record, and I always try to get someone's voice. Every subject I investigate, I'll call them, and I'll ask them to call me back, and I don't pick up that line. And what they do is they leave me a message. So now, and again, this is kind of a cheat because you want to get someone's voice and recorded and saved in your case file just in case you need to go back and say, hey, this, this, you're saying it wasn't you? This is your voice. And that's what I do. I'll actually, and I call it a trap. I'll get someone to call my voicemail and leave me a message, and then I'll save that as an MP3 in my case file, my hard drive. Wow, very sneaky. <laughs> All right, next one. Here's something about also legally doing something. Legally mining PayPal for evidence, number three. Yes. There are so many pieces of very small information that you can get from a PayPal account. And here's one thing, for example. If you just say you send someone money in with PayPal and, you know, just say, for example, my email address is rob at ipcybercrime.com and you send me money using that email address. Well, if that's not the primary email address, on the account, maybe there's another another email address on the account, right? So just say the bad guy is, you know, Bob's hand, Bob at bobshandbags.com, right? And you take that and you send uh, in, you send money to him. You're going to get, and just say for example, the the real email address on the account or the primary email address on the account is his personal one. It's you know, it could be like Bob Smith at hotmail.com, right? Well, the primary one is going to show up after you pay the person. All right, and second last but not least, number two, use Facebook for data mining. Yes, and Facebook is Studio 54. That's what Facebook is. People always ask, why Facebook? Why Facebook? Well, it just happens to be the most popular place to be. So because of that, you're going to find more people than not have accounts on Facebook. Now, interestingly, people's privacy settings, typically their default settings are very public. So when you find someone who, say, for example, is semi-private, perhaps they didn't lock their friends list, right? Well, if you don't lock your friends list, that enables anybody who's not your friend to go in and actually check to see all your known associates. 
every single one of your friends. And that's one of the first things I do when I look at someone's Facebook account is I'll just go through their entire friends list and see if there's any other name or an associate that rings a bell. Okay, so now the number one tip for fighting IP cybercrime actually involves social networks too. The number one tip is hack social networks for screen names. How do you do this? Yeah. This is one of the coolest things you can do, and it's really, really simple. And when I tell you, you're going to say, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Well, everybody online has what, what we call, in the online world, we call a handle. Say, for example, your handle is, like mine is Holmes PI, right? And everywhere, you try to get the same name on every social network. Now, you're, you're registered on, say, like Twitter and Facebook and those things, right? Yeah. And when you do, you usually try to have the same handle on each one if it's available because it makes it easier for people to find you and it makes it easier for you to remember your account name and all that kind of thing. So here's the neat thing. Just say, for example, someone has a certain handle, you know, XYXYXY723 at AOL.com. That's his email address, right? Well, many times their email address or their email handle is going to be their handle on social media as well. So the first thing I do when I get an email address like that is, and it's unique or personal, I'll take it and I'll go to YouTube and I'll go to youtube.com slash and I'll type that handle in. I'll go to facebook.com slash and I'll type the handle in. Twitter.com slash I'll type the handle in and so forth. And every single social network that has that type of URL, personalized URL, I will try that with because you never know what you're going to find until you try it. Interesting. We too, everyone can be a hacker, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's for a good cause. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Rob. We really appreciate the top 10 list for fighting IP cybercrime. And we also look forward to hearing the IP cybercrime masterclass at the upcoming IQPC Anti-Counterfeiting and Brand Protection Summit in San Francisco in January. I'm really looking forward to it. Last year was fun. I think this year is going to be even more fun. Join us in San Francisco January 23rd to 25th, 2012 for the 8th IQPC Anti-Counterfeiting and Brand Protection West Coast Summit. For more information or to register, visit www.anticounterfeitingsummitwest.com or email info at iqpc.com.